Kevin Adebia, and uh, it's wonderful to see how the life of this congregation has grown, knowing that it's not only here, but you have an evening congregation as well that is birthed out of this congregation. And uh, I believe it's also because the life of God is here. And uh, I had to just uh, answer a request coming from the Northern Hemisphere, from England, somebody who's just been meeting with Andrew uh, and uh, with Jonathan and some of the other team leaders. And uh, the question was uh, concerning what we need to give of ourselves to. And he pointed directly to Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. And we, we use that as a, uh, a standard, a measuring rod. But I want to say that in itself isn't the thing. And the reason I say this, and I direct him to that this morning, and this is why I'm excited about what I see happening uh, across uh, the board in our Josh Gen congregations. But I want to say at the same time, as for them, so for us. That thing of giving of yourself to the apostles' teaching, the New Testament, uh, not to the exclusion of the old, but giving of yourself to the New Testament teaching, giving of yourself to prayer, giving of yourself to fellowship, Giving of yourself to breaking of bread. And as Mike said, it's not just a Sunday morning thing. For us, we see it as a value, as a lifestyle, 24-7, in each other's homes. Um, so when I'm with you, and I meet with you, and I socialize with you, before we say, cheers, Fritz, uh, trust you guys are going to have a great week, uh, is it on my mind to break bread together with them? Because that's a value. It says, Acts 2, that they gave of themselves, gave of themselves, and... It's something that I want us to see in another context this morning to those four areas. But the four areas didn't validate or authenticate anything. It was a diagnostic test of something that had to be seen as to whether there was life in it. And so those four things have very much to do with the horizontal. In many senses, what we need to do is to establish what we doing amongst each other, fellowshipping, breaking bread. The way we give life to it is by making sure personally I've established the vertical. So out of the vertical must come the horizontal. Otherwise, we'll be doing the horizontal. All of these Acts 2 to 47, verse 42 to 47 things, but they'll be lifeless. So we're going then, we're breaking bread, or we break bread together, but it's lifeless. We fellowship together, but it's lifeless. We worship, but it's lifeless. We'll just fake it till we make it, you know. And uh, somehow we hope that the, the group on the stage will carry it better than they did last week. It's lifeless. So as I mentioned to somebody this morning, the fact that you here and you are intentionally wanting to establish the vertical, I want to say when you purpose intentionally to do that, getting into the Word, in prayer, exposing yourself to God, saying to the Lord, see if there's some way or something in me that's not pleasing to you. It may be a blind spot. I need to change it. Don't let me react if somebody comes to me and wants to tell me something and I'm always saying, yes, but. Help me to take what's being said and to see, is there some validity? Is there some, something in it that they're saying? So the psalmist said, so that I can recalibrate. So the psalmist said, I need to refire, uh, renew, revitalize, give attention to it. But it's 
birthed out of the vertical. So I want to say keep pressing into the vertical so that whatever we do on the horizontal will give birth to life. So that when you do break bread together, there's life, there's expectancy, there's anticipation. There are things that happen. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And when you do it, having established the vertical, that we'll see what we do in the horizontal isn't because it's in our unwritten 412 manual. We don't have a 412 manual, thank God. We don't have a Josh Jen manual, thank God. We have the scriptures. And the way that the scripture comes alive in us so that we're not offering people something they don't see worth asking for. Hey, come join our thing. We've got serious things we do. Eh? So we want to get them into our thing. We want to, as theologians say, we want to proselytize you so that you become a Josh Jenner. So we're getting lots of Josh Jenners. So you must see our gatherings, all the Josh Jenners. Oh, no, God forbid. We want there to be a river of life that flows. Yeah, Josh Jen is just a tag to let the world know these are our values, these are our DNA. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, we, we're Josh Jenners. This is who we are. These are the values we hold to. But I want you to know the only reason that we are who we are is because he breathes life into us. Because we want to intentionally press into him. And I want to say in the light of that this morning, Paul's concern time and again expressed for the life of the church was that they wouldn't be aware of the fact that the enemy wants to break the line of the vertical. The, Lord, the enemy knows if he can break you down vertically, you can do what you like horizontally. It'll be lifeless. It won't bear fruit. That will remain. You will keep having to pump it up like used cars in a car lot. They're going nowhere. You're polishing them, making sure the tires are pumped every day, but they're in the car lot. He doesn't mind if your vehicle's in the car lot. He doesn't mind even if you get ecstatic and, and expend a lot of energy in worship and head butt and jump around. You're just getting into the car in your garage and taking it up to 7,000 revs for five minutes and then getting out and going inside again. You've gone nowhere. But geez, you've expended a lot of energy. I said, no, God's intent for us is to go somewhere. God's intent for us is not to go and offer somebody something they don't see worth asking for in our lives. God's intent for us as his church, being energized by the vertical, is so that they see your marriage, they see your relationship, they see your values with finance, they see something that's authentic, they see something that's life-giving, they see something that's caring, they see something worth asking for. They came to Jesus and they said, we, we want to be part of this. He said, come see where I live. Immediately he took them into his place where he was real. The last time, I mean, the last thing sometimes that we want with people is we don't want them to come see where we live. Amen. But now, this is where it's all at. So, that which the enemy wants to do is he wants to break down the vertical, and this is what I shared with these folk up in the northern hemisphere, we need to first of all find out when meeting, meeting with leaders in the life of the church, how's it going with the vertical? We're not coming in as the apostolic and we're doing this audit. You know, we're going to check how it's going with the worship, you know. Do the people all rush up to the front? You know, Andrew and I spoke about this. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say you've got to come up to the front. But let me tell you, it's life-giving when you do. It adds to it. It gives opportunity for expression. Also, it shows unity in the front. Getting out of all those blooming chairs, which you need for now. You know, just to give you a bit of a rest... 
so you can sit on it. But there are things that we do that must add to, that mustn't create. So the, the, the worship doesn't create anything by what we do. Worship is spirit and truth. But there are things we do that add to. And so I want to say, as we just go into this morning, that there's some part of you that the, the Lord wants. There's some part of you that the enemy wants. There's some part of you, as we heard in our finance teaching, that the world wants. The world wants you to think that you're saving by spending. Save. Come and save. But as we heard this morning, you're not saving anything if money goes out of your pocket. But the world wants something. The world wants your mind. The world wants your mind. But the Lord wants your mind. The enemy wants your mind. And that's why Satan said, uh, uh, sorry, Paul said to the church, this thing about Satan and the vertical, he says, I fear, and it was a godly fear. He says, I fear for you that you will be deceived as the serpent deceived Eve through his cunningness, through deceiving her mind. He deceived her mind. And the enemy wants to deceive our minds. Uh, he wants us to think incorrectly. As I said, God also wants our minds. And I want to be honest with you this morning. This morning, I want your mind. I want your mind. I want to impregnate your mind with something. I want to affect your thinking so that your thinking can affect your being. That's why I want your mind. Everybody in life participating in some way or another with their interest wants your mind. Why? Because as a man thinks, so is he in his heart. Out of the heart, the mouth will speak. So I want to affect what's going to affect all of you. I want to affect your minds. I want to affect your minds with the word of God. And so in Proverbs 4.23, it says concerning the mind, above all else, guard your heart, which is also in this context your mind, for it affects everything you do. In some translations it says, for out of it flows the issues of life. Amen? It's your mind. 1 Peter 1.13, Peter writes to the church and he said, so think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return. This is a bad translation. At the return of Jesus Christ. But the, the thing that's coming through is think clearly. Think correctly. Think biblically. Think God thoughts. Second uh, Corinthians 11.13 was that passage of scripture that I spoke of that Paul writes. And he says... 2 Corinthians 11.13, these people are false apostles. They fooled you by disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And then he goes on to say, and this thing I fear, that the enemy is going to deceive you, even through them, through the cunning, as the devil deceived Eve. And so, also if we could just quickly look at Matthew 9, verse 1 and 2. Instead, it says, Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, take heart. In some of your translations you'll see it says, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Matthew 9 verse 18 to 22. So it's from that context to the woman. Um, if we could just look at that one, Matthew 9 18. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt down before him. 
My daughter's just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand upon her. As Jesus and the disciples were going to the official's home, and let me just say that word that came out this morning about fear, there was anger and issues that haven't been dealt with, but fear, always keep in mind, fear cancels faith. You can't be fearful and faithful at the same time. So Jesus here is trying to deal with something that's going to allow them to think properly. As Jesus and the disciples were going to the official's home, a woman who had the hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe. For she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Jesus turned around and said to her daughter, be of good cheer or be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that very moment. Uh, Also, just lastly in that context, Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. It's a great passage, this. Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great, uh, 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 such a huge crowd of witnesses, the Nephilim, it's called in Scripture, those who lean over the ramparts of heaven, watching us run our race now. Can you imagine that? I don't know how it's absent from the body, present with the Lord. I don't know how it's falling asleep with the Lord and the trumpet's going to wake us. But there are other passages like this that says, somewhere the departed ones are watching us now run the race. Okay? This great cloud of witnesses leaning over the ramparts of heaven. Because of that, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on him, focusing in on Christ, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. Now he's seated in the place of highest honor besides God's throne in heaven. Now think about all he endured. Meditate on this. When sinful people did such terrible things to him so that you do not become weary and give up or lose heart once again. And Jesus wants us this morning, folks, to take heart. You know, the word came, some of you might be in this place, some of you might be in that place. Some of you might have certain areas of your life met. Some of you, having had those certain areas of your life met, have other areas. You know, you can have all the possessions in the world. I just heard now when I uh, was with Russell, who uh, leads Durbanville AM congregation, that he knows a man who who has in his account, his worth is nearly four billion rand. Four billion rand. And yet, one of the members of his congregation, he was phoned by this guy to ask if he could please come and spend Christmas Eve with him. He's alone. Got four billion rand, but he's alone. Isn't that tragic, eh? You got everything, you experience nothing. And it's good to have the things money can buy. Amen but not at the expense of losing things money can't buy. And so there's always something I need to be looking at, uh, measuring. And so Jesus knows we're all in different places. And I want to say you can have much of something and very little of something else. And uh, we need to look at this uh, in the light of what God wants for us, desires for us. And this is why Jesus says, take heart this morning. And the other word, as I said, for take heart is Cheer up. Cheer up, Charlie. Cheer up. Okay? Because there's a reason why we must cheer. And the Bible says one of the reasons is morning by morning, he wants you to see new mercies coming to you. 
Cheer up. You have no idea what's around the corner for you. Cheer up. And this God, the Almighty God, Almighty God wants us to see and to change our stance, our position. Uh, as I've been going around the world, my heart's desire is to see people established in the vertical so that irrespective of the horizontal, they will lock into him and cheer up. See, there's no difference between you and the world if you've all won Tatama Chance, Tatama Million. If you all got a slice in the cape, you're all happy. No, it's when things don't go well. It's when you get that phone call. It's when you uh, become desperate. When, when you're not getting an opening. When, when there's too much confrontation, it seems like it's blocking your breakthrough. That the world watches you to see if there's a difference between you and the Philistine. To see if you would come to a point where you know that when Christ is most glorified in me, when I am most satisfied in him. I mean, that's the truth. And the degree to which I'm most satisfied in him will determine how glorified he'll be through me. So irrespective of the horizontal, because I've established this thing vertically. And we know, guys like Habakkuk said, even though the horizontal has fallen apart, even though there are so many things that aren't coming together, even though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, and the cow and the ox and the sheep and, and everything's collapsed and this thing's not going the way it should, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I will be of good cheer. I know him. I know the power of his resurrection. I know that he's in control of everything. He's the sovereign God. I can say this horizontally because I've established myself morning by morning vertically. So when I come here on a Sunday morning, I'm not waiting for somebody on the stage to wind me up. No, when I come here on a Sunday morning, because I've been establishing myself like old Kasi. We tell you if I think of prayer, I think of Kasi. Yeah, I was rebuked by my wife this morning. I was out on the veranda. We were right here and we missed the prayer meeting. I mean, sleeping, we were staying here in Sally's pad. And uh, suddenly I shouted to Pam. I said, geez, Pam, we're missing the prayer meeting. She said, and? You're supposed to let me know. You know, she was busy praying in the room and I'm praying outside on the stoop. So we quickly grabbed our stuff, came running, and the prayer meeting was finished. And Pam said to me, I just want you to know this crowd here, like with Cassie. If you're not in the prayer meeting, I don't know if they let you preach. <laughs> That's what she says to me. I said, oh, yeah, I know. But I, I want you to know that when I establish myself vertically to delight myself in him, I'm most satisfied in him. When I establish myself, I cannot emphasize this enough. When I establish myself vertically, I want you to know I will be secured horizontally. But more than that, when I come in here on a Sunday morning, I'm going to let something out of me that's going to take those around me ankle deep. And if I've established myself fully vertically, maybe I'll even get you through the anointing that's going through me in this place that you can't see, get the presence of God to go knee deep. And if there are many of us who are establishing ourselves in this place vertically in the presence of God, spending time with God, Delighting ourselves in God, embracing the presence of God, making declaration of the glory of God, giving thanksgiving to God. That when we all come together, yeah, it says, out of you will gush a river, and you have the river, another river, another river, and young, ankle deep, knee deep, 
Hier wees diep, hier iets gebeur, jong, dis al die kraan wat oop is, hier schalde diep, hier weenlusting, hier the worship was unbelievable, why? Because you opened the taps, but if we leave and say, yeah, that was a bad morning, eh? Because you didn't prom the pump. You got to prom the pump before you come. Otherwise, they clean engine key, that little motor go. That's how my ball goes. And now, especially getting into winter, water table's low, so I've got to open up the little proppy and I've got to prom the pump. But once I prom the pump, hey, you know. I, I, we planted a new patch of grass. I hold the, the hose pipe, I know it looks quite comical, about five foot from me. And here it does its own thing there. And I turn the tap almost closed. It just shh, 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 shh. Oh, and it's like, it's just a slung, it's like a snake. I just hold this thing on my grass. Eh? So I'm not walking and now I'm just going. The power. Micah 3.8 says, Micah, Old Testament prophet, chapter 3, verse 8, as for me, I'm a man full of the Holy Spirit and power. And when you come together and you let the anointing of God because of your vertical intention, and the flesh hates the things of the Spirit, it doesn't want you to establish vertical because it knows it will affect everything horizontally. Everything. So when you leave and the worship wasn't nice, the songs, so repetitive, they're so old. We sing them over and over. And the drums were so loud. And I want you to know, Pastor, I didn't like the worship. It's then that the pastor must say to that person lovingly, don't worry about it. It wasn't for you. <laughs> Amen? This vow, it's for him. And he says he, he even loves a joyful noise so long as it's birthed out of vertical. Let me tell you, my wife will tell you, especially my youngest daughter, well, all my daughters sing like angels. Said, Dad, you got a voice that's tenor. You know, you have different octaves. I'm a tenor. She says, you sing best 10 or 12 miles away. I said, yeah, no. But she, but she says it joking me and kindly. But I want you to know I delight in worshiping God. I, I delight in it. Uh, so, just getting back to the message again. So, the vertical, horizontal. I cannot emphasize this enough. This isn't just a prayer. I'm feeling this is what God is wanting to massage into his church. He's, he's, he's thirsty for you, let alone you being made thirsty for him. He longs to have you alone. You know, there are things that you, you establish in intimacy, in marriage, that you don't do in public. Now you do it in private. And it says when you go into the room, into the closet, what must you do? Lock the door. So in Afrikaans, I can never understand some Afrikaans saying this, slate the deer whip. Lock the door open. <laughs> no, 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 slate deer. You know? So you go in and you, you do something intentionally so that you're not disturbed. Because something intimate's going to happen. Lord says, when you come to me, show me that you want me. Show me that you want deep calling to deep. That you want something coming out of you, then I'm going to give something back again. See, it's vertical. Got to be intentional with God. It says, those that seek me with all their heart. And I want you to know, married couples, especially for the men, 
much better if the door is locked. Much better if you know you're not going to be disturbed. It's like that with God. Uh, there's just something that is birthed uh, out of the vertical that brings about good cheer. It's confidence in God. I need confidence in God. So then I've shared this often, even with the passing on of our son. It keeps on being my point of reference. It will never not be my point of reference. We thought, Pam and I thought we understood eternity and, and uh, the dynamics of eternity. Well, we didn't understand it in any way that we thought we should have until our son went into eternity. Those few days before his 21st birthday. Let me tell you, it was then that we had to learn to restate what we knew about the glory of God, about the person of God, about the sovereignty of God. When you don't know what to say about the unknown in the, in, in, in the horizontal, there are things that will happen to you. You won't know why they're happening. Folks, I'm telling you now, you won't know. You won't have an answer. And when things happen in the horizontal, if you've established yourself continually, ongoingly so, intentionally in the vertical, when you don't know what to say about the unknown, you will know what to say about the known. I do know he's faithful. I do know that he's sovereign. I do know that he's loving. I do know that he's kind. I do know that he's going to prepare a place for my son and my daughters and myself and my wife and our loved ones and for those who have come to know him. I do know that his word is true. I will stand on this. And so irrespective of where you're at this morning, we need to get alone with God and establish the vertical. Because let me tell you, in this life you will have. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. You'll have trouble. Yeah, that's nice of you, Jesus. Say, no, 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 take my word for it. I promise you, you'll have trouble. But his immediate words are, but be of good cheer. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. But I can only be of good cheer. Only be of good cheer. If I've established the vertical. Now, Fritz is sitting here. I've got to be very careful when I speak about rugby with Fritz here. But one thing I do remember, 24th of June, 1995, Rugby World Cup. Yeah! Nogal, not at Loftus, Ellis Park nogal. Atmosphere tense. Three penalties to the All Blacks, one drop goal. Three penalties to the Boca, one drop goal. Andrew Mertens, Joel Strensky. Let me tell you, it was electric. Eh? I mean, watching that game. I mean... Nobody said anything. I mean, I mean, the different phases. The ball kept going. You didn't know what on earth was going to happen. In the dying minutes of extra time, in the dying, one could almost say, multiple seconds, the ball shoots out to Stransky. Yeah. <laughs> he kicks that. I mean, that, that picture is all over the world. Eh? That ball going between the poles. Immediately. Everybody who wasn't all black was filled with good cheer. Let me tell you, the way I knew that was, at that Ellis Park, there were shark supporters. At that Ellis Park, there were cheetah supporters. When that ball went through, ball went through, the shark supporters kissed the cheetah supporters. <laughs> Rugby players don't do that. Eh? Rugby supporters don't do that because they're mana. No, no, they were filled with good cheer. It was just unbelievable. You know, uh, you know I almost felt like kissing somebody, you know. 
But they were filled with good cheer. And I just want to leave these four things quickly with you. This is how the devil wants you to lose heart. How he wants to break good cheer in you. Just quickly. The first is by listening to other people's negative perspectives in the camp. In this camp. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. Some people aren't ankle deep. Some people haven't been priming that pump for a long time. Some people are coming in here having listened to the news for the last week. Some people are just focused on doom and gloom and doom and gloom. Amen? So, but then it overflows into personal capacities. So you, you need to know in Deuteronomy 1 verse 28, it's, it's been through the course of history. People said to Joshua and Caleb, now the other ten have brought their report, coming out of the promised land now that they're supposed to go into. How can we go in or go on? Our scouts have demoralized us with their report. They say that the people of the land are taller and more powerful. They're taller and stronger than we are. And that the walls of their town, they rise up to the sky. They've even seen giants, the sons, the descendants of Anak, are there in the camp. Must have broken Moses' altar. You know, there's something that we need to understand that the enemy wants to use in the camp. No, no, it says in, in uh, the uh, New King James, I think it is, and the NIV, it says, our brothers said, our brothers said, that's in the camp. Not the strangers, not the Edomites, uh, Hittites, uh, all the other ites. No, it's, 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 it's in the camp. Our brothers said. Now, our brothers said. As I said, this must have broken Moses' heart. But then in Numbers 13, 31, I always find Caleb. I always thought Caleb needs to, he, he needs to be the one to take them into the promised land. But let me tell you, there needs to be Caleb's and there needs to be a Joshua. See, Joshua doesn't take. Joshua gives. He gives what God has given. Caleb took. Right at the end, he comes to he comes up to, to Joshua and he says, give me what God has promised me. I want to take it. I'm 80, but I feel like I'm 40. Give it to me. Joshua never ever took. Joshua gave. And there'll be some who are takers. And we need, leaders need, Mike in this context needs takers. Yeah. Come on, Mike, give me. Give me. Because we want to take. Oh, delegated authority. It's powerful. But we find here in this context, Caleb tried to encourage the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. See, got, God has spoken a word. Let's do it. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men, the other ten, who had explored the land with him answered, we can't go up against us. They're stronger than us. Terrible, eh? Terrible. I just want to say that there's a need to focus in on what God has said. Vertically. If you haven't established what God has said vertically, you will crumble horizontally. I promise you that. The enemy, he's been watching you from the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb. That's what the scripture tells me. Not when you came out going, Mah! no, 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 no. When you were conceived. When blood was formed, that's when life comes. It says the life is in the blood. It's not once the child is born. No, 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 that child, that little fetus becomes a child the minute there's life. 
He's been watching you from the moment you were conceived, watching everything that has affected you. He's watched you up to this stage in life. He knows what switch he must flick in your life. He knows what will get you to lose heart. He knows what will take you to give up. He knows how you're programmed. He knows you. This is why I need to come to the one who wrote the manual for me, Ephesians 2.10. The one who says, you are my workmanship. I have created you in my son, Christ Jesus. I've designed you for, for uh, accomplishment. I've engineered you for success. You come out of my workshop before I laid the foundations of the world. Now believe me. And sometimes the other voices come in because we haven't been establishing the vertical. So important. So important. Need to know this. Secondly, when you focus on the circumstance that confronts you, not only those in the camp, but circumstance that confronts you, as psychologists will tell you, one of the biggest problems is it's just a little micro dot. But look at it big enough, the dot starts to fill the whole paper. I mean, the dot becomes it. It's just a little micro dot. You know? I know little things can be effective. We found that out last night with the mosquitoes in this room here. I mean, yeah. It's not that little things can't be effective. But in the light of the bigger picture, once I establish the vertical, sometimes the scripture says it's hope deferred that causes that little spot to grow. Some of you are saying, well, I've got prophetic words and they haven't come to nothing. Well, they've come to nothing. They haven't come to anything. I want you, I'm still waiting for God. I'm still trusting God. I want you, I'm still single. Let me, girls, please, if you're single, marriage isn't the fulfillment. It's not the sunum bonum of life. Let me tell you, if you're single, Paul says, please, if you can at all ways possible, stay single. If you're burning up like a candle in the night, then trust God to get married. But you don't want to marry a floppy disk. You you don't want a guy that's going to say, dear God, our Billy Graham's wife, uh, our second daughter, read this in her, her biography of Billy Graham or her ad addition to she said, even Billy Graham, and she knew that was God's man for her life. After two years of marriage, she said, Lord, if you can allow Billy to die, I promise I'll never marry again. <laughs> Billy Graham. I want you to know there's something in God that we need to understand that wants to confront us. But confrontation and breakthrough are synonymous. You won't break through without confrontation. Don't, don't be fooled. So when you focus on the circumstance, that little dot can grow. And this is why those, those Israelites, they were looking at that little dot. That was quite a big dot um, called uh, Goliath. It was quite a big dot, but it grew every morning. Eh? I mean, it was like the Israelites said, they went up to the heavens. Where do you ever see a city's wall go up to the heavens? I mean, when, when the enemy starts to get you to focus in on circumstance, everything becomes vastly exaggerated. So people come and say, I want you to know everybody's unhappy with the worship and, and nobody's going to be coming. And, oh, I say, please, man. You know, usually it's just that tiny little dot and I'm not going to focus on that dot. I'm going to focus on, on what God has said. I want to establish the vertical. And so here comes this little guy in 1 Samuel 17, 32. His name's David. He comes and says, don't worry about a thing, David told Saul. I'll go out and fight this Philistine. You know why? Because night after night, he was establishing the vertical. He was alone there with those few sheep, as his brother says. Came and he said, who's looking after those few sheep, you little insignificant twit? 
That's what he was actually saying to David. He wanted David to become diminished in his own eyes. Sometimes people will do that to you. Who does he think he is? You know? I mean, always, always up in the front. Always wanting to prophesy. Always wanting to bring a word. Always wanting to... Let me tell you, you keep on always. You stay front-footed. Because sometimes if those people haven't primed the pump, they hate it. Because out of them's coming the stuff. <coughs> and out of you's coming living water. And they're getting so mad with you and frustrated with you. And David came and he saw this, this dot. And they said, Jesus, have you seen this dot? He says, I can't see it. He said, no, no, look at that. How can you miss it? Look how big this dot is. He says, I can't see it. Point me in the right direction. You see, he was looking at the dot in the light of the sovereignty of God. Because he would lie and uh, prostrate himself and look at the heavens. And when he looked at the heavens, he said, the heavens declare the glory of my God. Took all the stars and he threw them out into the heavens. You know those early uh, uh, preachers and expositors of God's word, like on Matthew Henry, when he he does an exposition of Genesis chapter 1. And knowing in the day in which he lived, there were no motor vehicles, all horses. And uh, he took the picture to a, a blacksmith shop. He said, let me tell you, when my God took the stars and he threw them out into the heavens, he said it was like sparks flying off the blacksmith's anvil. That's fantastic. He says, my God, let me tell you, my God. David arrives, he says, let me tell you, my God. No, 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 focusing on the dot. Let me tell you, that dot is so insignificant in the light of my God. Who is this that dares to defy my God? And unless we're looking at who God is and the magnificence of our God, I'm telling you now, that little dot in your life will become enormous. Like, I don't know if it was Pam who told me yesterday about, or was it Abby, that woman that committed suicide with her son. Yeah. She, she, the dotted, and, and it was because of debt. It wasn't an insurmountable of debt. The story now, the news, this, this woman was on the bridge with her child and the little child screaming to the mommy, don't jump, mommy, don't jump, mommy. I don't want to die, mommy. And mommy stepped off with him and killed them both. We tell you that dot had become an unbelievable spot. Just insurmountable. So the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Not only out there, but in the church. Because you'll do it through those in the church. You need to say, listen, you need to establish yourself vertically with God. I want you to know God's got something great for you. Out of you is coming negativity now, but I know the enemy is wanting to do that. Let me tell you God's plan for your life. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Amen. Amen. And so we, we need to focus the second thing. Circumstance. I love this, this, uh, this David picture. I know many, many stories have been told on David. But in, in children's church, and I want you to massage this into those who teach our children in the life of the church. Because the stories go about Daniel. They all know Daniel, Moses, Noah, David. But it's actually not about them. It's about the God of Moses, the God of David, the God of Daniel, the, the, the God of the impossible. Our children must come out and say, yeah, there was this guy, David, let me tell you who did it for him. It was the God of Israel. And, and the God who could do it for, for David can do it for me. And Kosiam Yada Siso Daniel. And Kosiam Yada Sisana. A lovely song in Koza. My God delivered Daniel. My God will deliver me. Amen. Ah, and we know the end of the story was 
He, that stone hit Goliath's head. He jumped on top of him, took his sword. I mean, it's only a wild picture, eh? and he chopped off his head with that sword. Eh? I mean, yeah, it was wild, eh? It was a horror movie, this. And then he held the head up. This got all the rest all fired up. Eh? Thirdly, quickly, you still with me? Okay, okay. When you start to listen to the rumors, not only on the inside, but you start to listen to the rumors on the outside. Negative talk in the land. And when you do, you're going to get thrown off your course. You'll get rattled. You'll get spooked. Because all, as I said, they speak about out there is doom and gloom. Babylon and God's word through the prophets in Isaiah kept saying in Isaiah uh, and Jeremiah chapter 51, don't lose heart. Folks, we're the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know we've got to change what appears to be impossible. People must see a confidence in us. And I wrote you, that's otherworldly. It's otherworldly. They must see that confidence in us. You know, my, strange enough, my brother and uh, his wife, Nolene, Louis and Nolene, their son, also close to my son's age, was also killed in a fire in, in, in America. Went to help put an aircon in the church. When they finished after three months, the next, uh, the next morning, they packed the vehicle, all the surfboards, the two of them, they were going to go surfing up the West Coast. And the house caught on fire. And in Kentucky, it's all wooden gas. Burnt them to the ground, incinerated him. Found his little skeleton lying on the, on the mattress, the spring mattress, just the springs and the skeleton. And my brother, he was filled with anger. He told me this. It, it just consumed him. And then the talk that came out on, on, on the outside, you know, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the negativity and, and what followed. And he said, you know, and this was about two years afterwards, his wife actually came and said to me, you know what started to turn Louis, your brother? I said, what is that? He said, he's been watching you and Pam just after our son died. And because you were established vertically, he was secured horizontally. Let me tell you people, watch you. When you were those on the outside and the conversation goes, Zuma. Oh yeah, oh Zuma, you know. And I don't even know how to turn that conversation into a good conversation. When Pam always says, when you don't know what to say, that's good. Don't say anything. And somehow you'll get sucked into that. I'm telling you as a believer. Now, when I do that, Jesus said you're going to be judged for every idle word that comes out of your mouth. Because I'm going to agree what's been spoken on the outside. It's not what his word speaks. I say in spite of. In spite of. And I mean, all these other things that are coming out on the news, and yeah, it can just blow your mind, you know. But in spite of. So, the rumors on the outside. The enemy wants to, to, to use that. I love this thing of... Uh, them seeing confidence in your eyes. They, in spite of, they must see something in you. And uh, Wesley's conversion uh, with the Moravians. It says that a Sunday, January the 25th, 1736, he was on the ship being tossed about. Looked like the ship was going to sink. John Wesley, he was traumatized. Yeah, he was hanging on to stuff. And, and, and he, he said he, he, he felt he was going to have a heart attack. And then he looked across the deck and there were Moravians having a little prayer meeting in the midst of the storm, these Moravians, and they were singing to God. And then uh, he approached them afterwards. 
And his whole attitude was, I'm going to save the world, but who's going to save me? And they spoke the word of life into him, changed his life. Because these people were established vertically, secured them horizontally. Lastly, when you lose sight of what it's all about, when you lose sight of the end, the eternal reward. You know, it says in Hebrews 12, 3, we read it, consider him. There's something we need to understand in Hebrews 3 when it says, consider him. He despised the cross. He scorned it for what lay beyond. Uh, I've said this on many, many occasions, that my hero isn't David. David. Some people love David. King David, you know. David. Not my hero. Picture I have of David. Yes, there's Psalm 51 and forgiveness and restoration. And he's the only one mentioned in the book of Acts that he was a man after God's own heart because he, he didn't stay down. He was willing to get up again. said, the Lord cleanse me as with hyssop. That's how they cleansed the leper once he had been declared uh, clean. They would take a branch of hyssop and put some blood in it and touch you from a distance just in case. David said to God, cleanse me with hyssop. Cleanse me like a leper. He said, that's how I see myself. That was his heart. But David, David, here's the picture of David for me. Standing with the wife of another man whom he had murdered next to the sepulcher of a dead, illegitimate child whose death he was responsible for. That's a picture of David. I mean, that's wild, eh? But Joseph, oh, Joseph, oh, Joseph, filled with eternity, part of his wife. Oh, in that little, there's a woman I didn't tell Pam, this didn't think it was relevant, I'll just, Pam will know now. Went to Woolies yesterday. Uh, to buy a chicken and what have you. There was a woman in like, her, her outfit looked like a nighty. I mean, you could see right through it. Eh? She was built like a racehorse, this lady. Huh? She's a beautiful, beautiful lady. Eh? No? But in, she's in front of me in the queue. And yes, she's got this, this little thing she had on that was supposed to be underwear. I mean, the poor guy, he dropped all the chips, like in a movie. You want to get a packet of chips? He dropped all the chips off the rack. <laughs> Looking at this. Now, when I read of Joseph... This lady didn't come in an old woolen nightgown. Part of his wife, she came all perfumed up. It says day by day. This poor, he's a young guy. Yeah, he, he's, 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 his testosterone levels must have gone through the roof. This poor guy. He, you know, if only he had Paul's writing which says flee. Flee, you know. Run away, which he eventually did. But it says she tried to get him and tried to get him. And eventually in the light of the fact that he established his faith in eternity. He said, your husband's given me control of this whole home. Now, how can I do this thing and sin against your husband? No, 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 no. How can I do this thing and sin against my God? My God. Here's Joseph. He was established vertically. My God. Oh, my God. I'll pommel my body. I'll make it my slave. My God. I want to say, in all things, in all things, we need to be governed vertically. We need to be governed so that the enemy will not use it to cause us to lose heart. We need to be governed in our relationship with the Lord so that we don't listen to what they say on the inside. We don't focus in on circumstances that come like a little dot and grow out of all perspective. We don't start to listen to rumors on the outside. No, we'll lock into Psalm 1 and say, Blessed is the man. 
He does not uh, uh, walk in the path of sinners, stand in the counsel of the ungodly, sit, sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord his God. And therein he'll meditate vertically day and night. Such a man, such a woman will be like a tree planted by the rivers of life. You'll bear fruit. Your leaf will not wither or die. Whatever you do, you will prosper in. Because I've established the vertical. Eternity. Folks, you had to run for eternity. Eh? It's eternity. The day of the Lord is coming. And I close with this. Oh, when the trumpet of the Lord will sound and time will be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the roll is called up yonder, over on the other side. Hey, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I want you to be there. I want you to come up to me and say on that day, you were right. You were right. So I remain steadfast, immovable, abounding in the things of my God because eternity was rushing towards me. You know the frightening truth for me? Well, Pam will tell you, Saturday morning, I said to her, I've been slightly traumatized this morning. I said, you know, in five years' time, I'm 70. I'm 70, sweetie. I mean, when I was a young guy, 70. You were underground. <laughs> 70. I said, I'm not intending to go anywhere for another 30 years. I thought, well, then I'll be one of the oldest guys alive in South Africa, you know. But the one thing that changed my perspective was, whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's that he spares me for years to come, I want to encourage the saints. I want you to see something in me. Paul says, imitate me. I don't say imitate if you think in any way I have any level of perfection, please just take time straight off this meeting, speak to my wife. She'll correct that. Once and for all. But one thing I do want you to know, in spite of, when I don't know what to say about the unknown, because of eternity, I will restate what I know about the known. I will keep on keeping on. I want to be faithful in what my God has given me to do. In my weakness, I want him to show his strength. I want to say, how can I do this thing and sin against my God? I'm destined for the throne. And so are you. Whether for his approval or his heartbroken disdain. Come, let's bow our heads together before the Lord. I want to say, I know it's been a long word. Thank you for just staying with me. But it's a word I want to massage into the church. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Don't lose heart. Don't stop praying. That's Jesus' words to us. I know in this world you will have difficulty. There will be tribulation. But I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I've gone to prepare a place for you. Keep on keeping on. Oh, it's worth it. A place where there's joy inexpressible. A place where there's no tears and no sorrow, no disappointments, no need, no lack. You'll be anxious for nothing because you will lack nothing. I will fill all things in all things. I'm preparing that place for you. Now be steadfast. Run that race that's set before you. Handle some things in this life loosely. Because I've got something permanent. Oh, and magnificent in store for you. So if you're here this morning and you come to a point in your life where you're feeling exhausted... You're feeling that you've had pleasure, but you've never had what God speaks about, his peace. 
He says, my peace I give to you. Not as anybody else can give you. My peace I want to give you. It's not governed by circumstance. It's governed by my presence. I want to ask if our heads are bowed and not looking around. If there's somebody here this morning, you've never made a commitment, firstly, to Jesus Christ. Never, 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 ever. And you're saying in your heart, well, that's me. I am exhausted. I am feeling tired. I'm feeling disillusioned. I've almost lost heart. I'm not of good cheer. I've never trusted Jesus Christ. I've never asked him into my life as my Lord and Savior. Well, when I did that in my early 20s, it changed my perspective forever. It's not that everything became rosy. Oh, no, no, no. But I experienced the peace of God, the sovereignty of his anointing and commitment to me, saying, I'll never leave you. I'm going to take you through this. And he has. Both for Pam and I, and many, many folk I know, destined for his presence, destined for his throne. And if you here this morning and you're saying, well, I've never made that commitment, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I want you to raise your hand so I can just pray for you where you are. If there's somebody right now, you've never made that commitment, I want to encourage you to make that commitment this morning. And the Lord says, you do this, I will, you respond to me in this way, and I'll respond to you. I'll come to you. I will establish my presence in you. Give you my Holy Spirit. Give you my peace. Is there somebody here this morning? I'm taking nothing for granted. If you could just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. You've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ. Is there anybody? Anybody here this morning? And I want to ask as well. If you're here this morning. And you know that the vertical is very shaky. You know that you have given very little attention to the secret place alone with God. You know that when things come against you, more often than not, you react instead of responding. You get thrown by circumstance. You're affected by the words of people because the vertical isn't in place. Oh, that you would reestablish that intimate altar again in your life. You get back to that place of intimacy with God, morning by morning. And if that is you, I want to ask if you could just raise your hand. I want to pray for you too this morning. Yes, God bless. God bless. God bless you. God bless you. Many people are raising their hands. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Shall we stand together? Praise God. Praise God. His grace will enable you. I want to pray now that there would be a massive response from God to your desire now to press in to be secured by Him. Can we just raise our hands towards, towards heaven? Although He's here with us, but just towards heaven. Our God and our Father. Oh, we're so in need of you. We know there are so many things that come and press in against us. But we're yours, King Jesus. And we want to acknowledge you. We want to establish our presence in you. Dear God, we want you to be most glorified in us because we're most satisfied in you. That there will be nothing. You will be the preeminent one, not the prominent one, the preeminent one, dear God. With no second, no third, no fourth. We are yours, King Jesus. 
I thank you for the life of this church. I thank you for each person who's here. Lord, if it be that they are, some here are processing something that they feel is insurmountable, that they would stop this morning. Say, no, my God is able. My God is the God of the impossible. God, I commit what I think now is impossible, is insurmountable to you. Lord, I want to ask that you'd fill me with your love so that your love can cancel out that fear. Because I know I can't have fear and establish faith. And without faith, I can't be pleasing to you, Lord. So right now, Lord, oh, let your love flood in my heart, according to Romans 5, 5. That in the flooding of my heart with your love, I'll become confident in your commitment to me. The lover of my soul. The lover of my soul. My God will make a way. And so, Father, I do. I speak over each one here this morning. Oh, Lord, let them know as they leave this building that something has happened. There's been recalibration. That the vertical that they're going to establish now in a stronger and stronger and stronger way is going to allow them to become of good cheer and that others would see in them something of the glory of their God in spite of the circumstance, in spite of what comes over that hill because they know in whom they have believed and they are persuaded that you are able. And we as God's people want to acknowledge your goodness. So now I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, oh, and the love of God the Father, the wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit would be with us, rest upon us, remain in and through us until you call us to be with you or until you come for us on that day and then forever and ever and ever and ever. And we as God's people say, Amen. God bless you, encourage you. Wonderful family of God. Thank you, Mike.